the hard shoulder on Newstalk with Nissan subscribe and drive no deposit no compromise no fuss find out more at nissan.ie You're very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until 7 o'clock. And I'm delighted to be joined for the Thursday interview this week by Razan Ibrahim. Uh, Razan, you are a Syrian-Irish journalist. You are a senior editorial analyst with Kinzen. Um, You're very welcome to the show. This is interesting because often in this slot, I suppose, we speak to people who are... I suppose famous, for want of a better word (laughs) or better description. Um... Not the case with you. And the reason we wanted to speak to you is because maybe while people might not know your name or some people out there, you, you do have a remarkable story to tell. Um, and, and that's what we want to get into. And that story starts in your childhood home in Syria. Where in Syria? Um, I was born in Latakia, um, a Mediterranean city near Turkish borders. So I was born in a beautiful city, open, diverse, different religions, ethnicities and backgrounds as well. My parents uh, were teachers. So from day one in our life, we were taught that education is number one priorities in our lives. So uh, that's why um, they raised that in us. Uh, and then we continued like my studies, my uh, uh, master's in Ireland, etc. But at that time in Syria, and as I was saying to you, it's such a diversity that uh, I was able to live my childhood as a full yeah. As a complete, complete, crazy child, tomboy. Oh, really? Describe that to me. So um, I would disappear from the house from eight in the morning, come back around eight evening time. Uh, if my parents would like to look for me or search for me, they will find me on top of the trees, <laughs> living there, eating there and as well inviting friends. So that's like really created as well the adventure and curiosity um kind of uh, always learning always experiencing and i'm taking that from my childhood till today what is as well interesting about my childhood that i was raised without religion and when i say this to people they would say oh my god in syria and you do you have this in syria i was like yeah my parents were atheists and they raised us with no religion so mm. i grew up with islamic culture Christian culture and other cultures, but not as religion itself. And how unusual was that in Syria? It wasn't unusual. And that's the interesting side of it. So it's not only me. There are many Syrians families like that. So uh, you would be exposed to all religions. For example, I remember till today we would celebrate Ramadan, then Eid al-Futr. Eid al-Adha, then we prepare our clothes for Christmas, then <laughs> Halloween, then we, we could do Easter. So it's a mix of everything. And this has actually taught me and my family and even the people around me to be tolerant, understanding, although I don't believe in other religions, but I respect people's belief and people's practices. And I sometimes do these practices in a way of celebrations and I truly enjoy them. Would it be right, though, to say that, you know, would have been, you know, in Ireland, a lot of people describe themselves as cultural Catholics, I guess. You know what I mean? That maybe that their beliefs they might question, uh, uh, but uh, culturally, that's, that's how they identify themselves. W- like, would would you be culturally Islamic? 
Uh, no, I wouldn't. I'm not even Christian. So I am um, completely secular and uh, completely uh, distance myself from religion in general. But at the same time, when there is celebrations, I would love to be part of these celebrations and cultural events because eventually this is brings people together, you know, like brings different religions together. And that's why I would like to be part of this aspect of it. When I was living in Syria, I've never thought actually of identity. I was going to ask that about, sorry, because that was literally the next thing I was yeah. going to ask you was about national identity and the sense of being Syrian. Was it something that you were aware of? Yeah, I mean, as I said, like when, when I was there, I mean, I, I didn't even think of religion as identity, myself as identity, etc. But when I arrived to Ireland and traveling around Europe, the question I was asked by random people in the pub or by a taxi driver, they would tell me, oh, so you are from Syria, so are you Muslim? I was like, no. Are you Christian? I'm not. Are you Jew? I'm not Jew. So who are you? And this is where actually I started to think about myself. Yes, who, who I am. And this is when I started to try to discover, do what is my identity? But honestly, after a long time of thoughts, I think that my identity is my job. Mm. The, the thing that I am passionate about. Although, just to mention that I am proud of my identity as a Syrian, as an Arab, as I have a Muslim and, and Christian culture, and even as well, super proud of my identity as an Irish. It- educated on, on, on the shortcomings of, of labelling people uh, by their national identity. I'm going to remind people that uh, the Syrian-Irish journalist Razan Ibrahim is with me this week for the Thursday interview. Uh, uh, the other cliche that we mentioned that we're guilty of here is is thinking of uh, of the entire region in the Middle East of kind of being in a constant state of flux or turmoil. Of course, ultimately, that is the state that Syria has been in for a decade now. When did that arrive on your door in Syria? So that was in 2011. I was living in Syria at that time. Um, I was uh, teaching. uh, And this is when uh, around 2011, mid of 2011, I applied for um, an Irish visa and specifically student visa to continue my studies at that time. But it was extremely tough time for every Syrian to see our country um, going for a known future Mm. and going for a road that no one expected. So uh, it started peaceful protests at that time, but things escalated very quickly to a really dangerous path that affected Syrians, the country itself, the history, the heritage, and also the whole world. Mm. The impact of Syria was not limited or was not only for Syrians. The, the impact was way broader than that. It reached Europe, it reached US uh, with the refugees as well, movement to the north, all of that, the impact was huge. We did not expect it. But unfortunately, I was going to say, we are also not working to solve it. And you you left then not because of that. I mean, I mean, people probably think, oh, you left in 2011. You left because this had started. It, it was already the plan to leave Absolutely. the country. Absolutely. My, my plan was to apply for master's degree in, uh, in Ireland in particular. 
And that was my objective. My Why aim. Ireland? Because many reasons. I can count you <laughs> hundreds of reasons. But um, I did my undergrad in English, Irish and American literature. Irish literature stand out. I loved it. And I loved reading that theater, novels, even uh, poetry. All of that resonated in me so much. And through literature, I knew a lot about Irish history, which is I'm super proud of, and also Irish culture, music. So I was fascinated by Ireland. What, what writers in general, do you mind me asking? James what? Joyce, okay. uh, with, uh, my, uh, my um, final project at university was Samuel Beckett waiting for Godot. Okay, so, you yes. know, like really uh, so play, into... Where, where, where nothing happens twice. <laughs> exactly, so into the literature of Ireland. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons. The other one, uh, because I was a teacher, I wanted to continue my studies in English language teaching so I can go back home and build and have my own business. I couldn't, unfortunately, for uh, the war. However, uh, I looked f uh, on the Internet what are the best courses, the best universities that they can do this particular course, UL, University of Limerick came as number one and I'm, I am the happiest person that I was able to go there. And I mean, for, for a time after you came here, do, like, uh, were you living in two worlds to a degree because of everything that was going on at home? Were, were you still kind of consumed by that or did you try as much as you could to shut it off or what was the approach? Uh, it was extremely hard because impossible to disconnect of what is happening in Syria, you as a human being and me as well as a Syrian in particular, seeing your homeland destroy, shattered, a huge human loss, civilian loss. Um, and then the portrait of Syria in the media. Now, Syria, as I said, like in the history, amazing history, a beautiful country, beautiful culture, tolerant, inclusive. All these beautiful aspects of Syria are gone. Nobody knows about that. They only know about war in Syria mm. and terrorism, these kind of connected words together. And that's another layer of the problem. You feel you are under target all the time, you know. And did you, you have did, sorry, questioned, yeah. you know, like, I mean, questioned all the time. Do, do you find yourself kind of defending Syria? And I don't mean, I'm not getting into politics or anything, no, but I mean de defending not. the, um, I suppose, the country and the, the, the reputation of the country and its culture and heritage to people. And the people, exactly, like defending the Syrian people, the heritage, the history, because it's a duty, I think, for me um, at that time until today, I felt extremely sad that the picture portrayed on Syrians was not real. It wasn't the real picture that people need to know about. And uh, you, you were studying in Limerick and was the, the plan you said was to go back home and to open your own business. I mean, did you during those studies still have an expectation that would happen, that that the civil war wouldn't last as long? Nobody, I suppose, thought it would last this long. I mean, at what point did you think, actually, I'm going to have to come up with a new plan? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, every Syrian's not uh, didn't expect at all that these uh, few months of uh, unrest that it will extend to a huge brutal war uh, at that time i'd say after my i finished my um, degrees in ul i was because i was extremely focused on my studies i 
had no chance to fail in my exam. You know, I wanted to succeed and pass my exams because I paid for my own studies in Ireland. You know, I had to save money to do that. So it was a mission for me. So I was extremely focused on my studies. Mm. When I finished and I graduated and I was planning to go back, uh, this is when the struggle started. The war was extremely bad. Uh, even going to Syria at that time was not possible, was not easy. Things escalating quickly, unbelievably quickly. And that, I th- I'd say in the late 2012, I would say 2013, this is when I had to decide and I had to, do, to, to, to decide what to do in my life. And this is where I applied for a refugee status in Ireland. Was that a difficult decision to make? I can't tell you how difficult it is for many reasons. First, you know that you are now away from your homeland. Mm. You made this decision that Syria, that country I love, my family is there. You are not going to see them for a big while. And uh, that was really uh, kind of hurt me a lot at that time. The second one, which is important, is the label of refugee. That's extremely a negative label on people. And for a long time, I was hiding this label. And it is actually part of my identity that I am proud of. But I was hiding it for a while because I thought this will make me feel uh, inferior, uh, negative can, uh, label on me, etc. But then after I was like, why I am doing that? No, I should be proud. Why? Because... Refugees did not choose to be refugees. They are, uh, they have circumstances that they can't live peacefully in their homeland, and they are forced to have new life or to to travel to a new country and 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 be in a new country for safety. Stereotypes kind of is emerging as the theme of our, our conversation. Did you find, because sometimes we do think of refugees, the box we try to fit them into as that kind of send me your poor huddled masses, you know, and the Statue of Liberty. Um, uh, did you find people questioning your legitimacy as a refugee? You know, hold on, you came here, you had money and you paid for uh, education. You, you're an economic migrant was the kind of the label Absolutely. thrown at you, I'm and sure, that's was we, it? We need to differentiate between economic migrant and refugees. And I can tell you because I volunteered in Greece in 2015 and 2016 to help refugees arriving to, to uh, Greek islands. And I met amazing people, extremely qualified doctors, engineers, business men and businesswomen and they are back home in Syria where really thriving um, successful people but because of the war it forced everyone to leave and we can see now these examples amazing examples now in Europe where they are thriving again building their life and many of them are actually started businesses in Europe, the same businesses they were doing in Syria, you know. So it's a mix of everything. But what is what is important for me at that time when I uh, became a refugee in Ireland, one of the biggest mission was to break these stereotypical pictures that refugees are here to get our jobs and to stay on social welfare. I'll tell you when I applied for refugee status, I had zero money in my pocket. I had nothing, but my mission was, I don't want to be on social welfare. I want to work and work and work. And this is when I worked something unrelated at all, like a kitchen cleaner. 
uh, kitchen porter. I did um, uh, waiter, for example, then translator. So I grew very slowly. So I started my life in Ireland from zero. Mm. I, I was 32. Wow. It, it, like it's a remarkable story and, and, and there's so many different threads to it. You mentioned Greece. I mean, that must have been difficult when you went to Greece, was it? Absolutely. It is difficult, but at the same rewarding. In a okay. way, I was in Ireland watching everything happening on social media and on the TV. And I decided not to be a witness. Somebody who is who would cry over seeing these images. No, I was like, no, I can't be that. Because so like before, before you go on, does, yeah. does that annoy you a little bit? Because I'm thinking of... Alan Curdy on the beach uh, and images like that. And there's no shortage of people. You could line up people from here to Timbuktu who tell you that they were sitting at home crying tears into their pillow at the thoughts of Alan Curdy and yet didn't do anything about yeah. it, you know. And then the next day they were crying about something else. Does, does that kind of get under your skin a little bit Absolutely. as somebody who did something? Yeah, because this is my, my point. Like, I am somebody who doesn't believe in speeches and blah, 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 and words, you know, actions where we should do actions and steps and and real act on the ground. And that's the main reason why I decided to go to Greece and help refugees. And these refugees were actually arriving from Syria, from Iraq, from Afghanistan at that time. But the majority of them were Syrians. And I can tell you, it was one of the most surreal experience I've ever had in my life. I met people that I already knew. No way. Like, yeah, on, on the shore. I met women who arrived on the shore five children, but they realize that they lost one in the sea. They can't go back and save them. I witnessed as well people who buried their own children in, 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 in graves in Greece. So really extremely sad. But at the same time, when you see the people are moving out, moving on, uh, continuing their life and and establishing a new life for them, this is the reward. Uh, when was the last time you saw your family? 2015. Has that been difficult? Um, it's um, shattering us, I'd say, because me, myself, my brother, my sister, we all live here and my parents are living back home in Syria and we haven't seen them since 2015. Um, it's shocking, sad, heartbreaking, and especially to know they are getting older Mm. and older, they have more wrinkles, their health is not the best as well, and they are all away from us. They are on their own, living where they are living right now, and they feel extremely lonely. My mom, when I talk to her, she she tells me one day, she said to me, Razan, I feel I am an orphan. It's the way around. She said, I'm really lonely and... uh, Three children, you know, like they are away from them. Extremely hard So, um, and heartbreaking, as I said. They are always in our mind mm. on daily basis. They, We communicate with them as well every day. So we don't want them to feel isolated or lonely. Well, listen, you're a credit to them, uh, Razan. And, and thank you so much for coming in. It's been really interesting. And there's so many other things we could have talked about. I think we could have been here all day. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we're out of time. Razan Ibrahim is a senior editorial analyst with Kins. And Razan, thanks a million. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Music.